Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9 of Mendoza Line. My name is Cam, and as usual, I am here with Nick. What's going on, man? Hey Cam, not too much. How are you doing this evening? You know, I took a power nap before we started recording, so I am ready to go, my friend. I am all energized. That's good, because sometimes you can come out of those more tired than when you start, at least in my experience. Yeah, no, I'm ready to go. We had a week off. I'm all, you know, stretched. I did some some calisthenics earlier. I'm ready. To, we got a lot to talk about, so I'm ready to go. It's good. Got to get that heart rate up. Yeah, something about cardio, right? That's what my doctor says anyways. All right. We've got, we actually have quite a bit of follow-up this episode, so I think we should just get into that. What do you say? Sounds great. All right. Uh, first up, um, well, everyone's favorite Gary has sent in some more stuff for us from last episode. And uh, in last episode, I was complaining quite profusely about how idiotic it is to have a hill and flagpoles in the middle of a baseball. Well, not in the middle, in the field of play as they do down in Houston. I think it's dumb. I think it's unsafe. And I would refuse to play center field if I had to ever play in that stadium. You know, if you if you run into that pole, it's going to hurt quite a bit. Probably will knock you out, too. Yeah, and we all know that my face is the moneymaker, so I can't be running any flagpoles. But <laughs> little did I know that the Reds' former uh, field, Crossley Field, had a bank around the edge instead of a warning track, which is what your, which is what Gary informed us of. That is, it's kind of a good idea. When no, you think it's a about terrible it. idea. How is it good? Tell me how it's good. Well, okay. So, warning track. You know, when you're looking up at a ball, I guess there, there's a lot that goes into it, but you're not really looking at the ground. And, I mean, I've seen it numerous times, even in the past couple of days, outfielders that think that they're about about ready to run into a wall, and it, they're, like, nowhere close to it. So it's not like – maybe it needs to be even a little bit bigger, but a, a hill, I mean, when you start – when you hit that, you're just going to fall kind of into the hill, and that's not going to hurt as bad as opposed to, like, a massive fence or whatnot. But I don't know. I, I, it's – Player safety wise, it's better to fall on a hill than a wall. That's all I'm saying. Well, I would think, and this is me knowing my um, clumsiness, that if I was running full speed to catch a ball and all of a sudden the ground inclined, I wouldn't fall into the hill. I would trip into the wall. Like it would just, I would launch myself. (laughs) We just have to remember, too, these are, uh, for the most part, very highly tuned. Uh, professional athletes because yeah what are you you trying to say nick what are you trying to say well well cam we've we've broached this topic in previous (laughs) podcasts but we are we're nearing our 30s and uh or some would say we're passing our physical prime but we're never the probably the best athletes per se so i don't know if i would build up enough speed to where (laughs) running into a wall would hurt me that bad that's, maybe, a, that's a fair point. That's a fair maybe point. with all those calisthenics you've been doing, uh, you would, but I wouldn't be too worried about it. A hill would actually be kind of nice because, yeah, I would, I would feel, feel running up a hill as opposed to more flat ground. All right. But that's just me. Fair enough. Speaking, speaking, I was just thinking about running into things. <laughs> I was watching... Um, I was watching the Reds today a little bit, but I was uh, also watching the 
Marlins and Nationals game, and just a funny little thing happened. Giancarlo Staten and Marcelo Zuna, like perfectly, Ryan Zimmerman hit a ball like perfectly in the gap. So they, they ran into each other like right at the warning track. And they both, like they both laid there and missed the ball. And they, they just like, they ran into each other and just laid there. So Ryan Zimmerman, who is not very fast, got it inside the park home run <laughs> on this play. And they both ended up being okay. But it was kind of funny because I was like, they they ran into each other and I was like, oh, that's really bad. Like they must be seriously hurt. But they ended up being okay. And after they hit each other, they just laid there. So you'll have to watch it if you haven't seen it later. It was kind of funny, but speaking of athletes running into each other. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully they were both okay because it looked pretty bad. Well, if I can find a video, I will put it in the show notes for sure. Uh all right. So Gary also told us, because we had said I think you had said last episode that they removed the hill in the Houston field. Yeah, or they were they were planning on it. But. Yeah, but it's not going to happen until next year. So right. good luck, Houston center fielder, on your you know being able to walk properly. It's pretty far back there. I don't know too many balls get hit all the way back there, but yeah, it was interesting. They like ran out of time. I guess they didn't have enough time to take it out. And uh, fire their project manager. Seems like there's plenty of time in the off season to take care of that, but I'm not involved in the intricacies of the planning. But it seems, yeah, they didn't plan that out very well. It's a hill of dirt. Get get one of those. <laughs> get a bulldozer. <laughs> exactly. In there. Take care of it in a weekend. Yeah, I'm sure they. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but what do I know? Yeah. Anyways. So, thank you to Gary for that. So, yeah, next year we'll be hillless in 2017. One, one, can, one can only just wait for the, uh, the idiocy of that thing to be removed. I personally think we should bring back the hill instead of a warning track, but that's just me. What I think we should do is, is get rid of the warning track, but instead of a hill... Just have people stationed like every ten feet yeah. the, on the on, on the wall with really 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 loud air horns. They can just yell. <laughs> no, no. Warning. I'm talking like air air raid sirens, so that the outfielder runs and then literally falls on the ground because it scares him half to death. It's so loud. That would make baseball all really entertaining. <laughs> and that would make a ton of sense because they would be warned. That the mm. fence is near. I think we're on to something here. <laughs> I'm just picturing like uh, Curtis Granderson in a full sprint towards the fence and then <laughs> just hitting the ground, covering his head because <laughs> the <laughs> siren is so loud. But you know, he wouldn't run into the fence. This is true. This is true. And it would be comedic. And I'm always up for a good gag. And we're, we're all about player safety nowadays. So Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks to Gary for <laughs> sending uh, that follow-up in and uh, informing us and correcting us in the way that only a father can. Yes, he he has taken on the mantra of kind of our, our fact-checker. You know, in Around the Horn at the end, or I don't know, when I used to watch it, the guy kind of comes out at the end is like, this was wrong. This was wrong. Yeah, that Tony Tony Reale, who was the host of on the, Around the Horn, but it was he would do it for uh, Pardon the Interruption with Will right, Bond and right. Kornheiser. So yeah, we we don't want to be wrong. We we want to be factually correct. So we appreciate that correction. Does this mean we need to give your dad a segment on the show so he can tell us 
how wrong we are about stuff. Well, I, I see a trend developing here where he kind of gets <laughs> that indirectly at the beginning of the show. So maybe we can just dedicate that to him. Yes. Give him his own theme music or something. All right. Let's, uh, we've got two weeks of, of baseball to catch up on before we get to our main topic. So uh, let's dive in here. Um, it looks as if, uh, well, there's been some PED usage in baseball. Big shock. And they're actually getting caught now. So that, that's, that's the difference, really. Um, so Kansas City Royals player Raul Mondesi, not the Raul Mondesi you're thinking of, his son. Their top prospect. Yeah. Um, Played in the World Series last year. Yeah, he got, called, yep, he got called up for the, play, for the, uh, the playoff run. And, uh, well, he got busted, not for, you know, popping roids, um, Chuck Knobloch style, um, but he had an over-the-counter uh, medication that one of the ingredients in it was a banned substance. And uh, to his credit, he owned up to the mistake, said that it was not intentional, there was no intent to cheat, but that he did not do his due diligence in scouting every ingredient in the medication he was taking and that it was a an honest mistake but he was going to own it it was his fault it was nobody else's fault he's going to serve his suspension learn from the mistake and uh, try and improve as a player when he comes back and I thought of all of the other ways that baseball players have handled this sort of stuff he did an incredible job in taking it on the chin and just it is what it is. I made a mistake. I apologize to the fans, to my family, to the organization. It won't happen again. And just taking it like a man. And I just kudos to to Raul Mondesi for handling this with with class and character. Yeah, I agree. What's interesting about this case was, so he had this substance, which I don't know what it was off the top of my head, but evidently it's a part of some like cold medicine in the Dominican Republic, which is where he's from. So, yeah, I actually believe him. I think that it was a mistake. And, um, yeah, it just, like he said, he he didn't do his due diligence in um, researching the the product and making sure that it was free of that stuff. But, you know, it just helps you clear up colds quicker. And, you know, he's from the DR. It, It makes a lot of sense. But... What's interesting, yeah, is, I mean, that's a that's a pretty big black eye even with that on his career as a top prospect. He, which is interesting, he's actually on the 40-man. So he, you know, the, the suspension originally should have been for, I think like. For 100 games. For 100 games, yeah, but it was, he only got 50. And I believe he's allowed to participate in the playoffs this year. Correct. As opposed to. You know, in any other case when, you know, this happens to any other minor leaguer that's not on the 40-man, being on the 40-man is huge as far as, like, pay, you get more pay, and you get the rights of the the players' union in the Major League Baseball. So they're able to, yeah, kind of go to bat for him. You see what I did there? Mm-hmm. In a sense. And, yeah, get his, get his suspension reduced and able to play in the playoffs because, because he was so forthright with um, – yeah, kind of explaining this is probably what happened as opposed to, you know, a lot of cases. Definitely with the the issues in the past with 
uh, Rafael Palmeiro and Bonds, they've just denied it from easy, day one. Easy there, Skip Bayless, easy. So, but I mean, it makes, you know, with those guys, they're like at the top of their game in their late 30s. Yeah, and they look like they're on steroids. <laughs> and the, the, I mean, Mondesi is, he's young, well, but he's not. No, he's, he's not, not a big guy. He's little. He's really little. He's not a power hitter. He's really kind of struggled. He's more known for his defense at shortstop opposed to anything. He's been hitting a little bit better. The Royals have been pretty aggressive. You know, he's always been really young for his level. Uh, but yeah, he's not a guy like that's taking PEDs and you're seeing this massive uh, production spike. So un- unfortunate for him. It just goes to show, I mean, athletes these days, like you need counsel and you have to be so careful about any sort of medicine or things that you put in your body just because of how thorough the drug testing is nowadays. Um, yeah, on the other hand, the links that people go to, um, to succeed and, you know, in cases, other cases where, you know, people have been banned, you know, I'm I'm even thinking about Ryan Braun a few years ago, like that's a guy who used, was really good, got paid a ton of money, you know, earned that contract, but because he's, he's going to get that money no matter what, you know? So it's, it's a tough, it's tough out there, but you know, I feel for, it seems like it was a mistake, so I feel bad for him, but you know, people will do whatever it takes to, to get that edge. Well, yeah. And he's not the, uh, the only one that's been hit with suspensions. Uh, I've got the list right here. There's been, he's the ninth player suspended this season or this year under the big league uh, drug program. So Miami player D Gordon was suspended for 80 games as were Cleveland's Abraham Amante, Cincinnati's Juan Duran, uh, free agent, Taylor T garden, Phillies, Daniel Stumpf, Toronto's Chris Colabello and the Dodgers pitcher, Josh Ravin. Um, they all got suspended. And then yeah. New York Mets pitcher Jenry Mejia received a permanent ban following a third positive test. And then he claimed he was um, the subject of a witch hunt and handled it exactly the way you should not handle it. Yeah. So well, that's in his case. Yeah, this was his third ban. Well, and I'm sure he was super pissed because he got the you know the permanent ban. He can never play again. But oh, I mean, yeah, that kind of. Yeah, I mean, your your career is not good for your career. Over, but at the same point, like, okay, first time, shame on you know me. Second time, shame on you. Third time, are you freaking kidding me, dude? Read the labels, read the labels, and then don't don't whine when you get caught three times for cheating. Well, if you look at that list, the trend is, I mean, all those guys, obviously minor are minor leaguers right now, except for Colabello, he was. Uh, playing for the Blue Jays, which he's he's a guy that I think I just read. He's still, like, trying to figure out how he had a positive test. Like, he has no idea, and he's trying to figure that out. So that's interesting. We'll be following that to see kind of what comes out of that. But all those other guys, you know, Juan Duran for the Reds, he, he was a guy that he is an international signee. A long time ago, when he was like 16, paid a lot of money for him. He's got a lot, big guy, got a lot of tools, but he can't hit. He strikes out way too much, and he's kind of got, he's been stuck in double A 
for a long time. So it kind of would make sense that he's the type of guy that would try to get a little extra edge. Um, the other guys as well, they're kind of uh, minor leaguers. Taylor Teagarden, I think, has been up and down a little bit, but they're kind of like fringy guys who've been in the minors toiling there for a long time. So, I mean, you can see why they would, you know, try to get over that hump a little bit. But, yeah, it's kind of tough for them and their careers moving forward, being under that label. But, so, yeah. Oh, but, wow. I mean, it's, it means it's working, so that's a good thing. It's what Coming from the, uh, the age of Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, all these, like, jacked guys out there in their late 30s that it seems a little bit more genuine nowadays <laughs> so yeah there, there are not too many guys that look like the state buff marshmallow man hitting balls 380 feet just it, it makes sense that you know once you start hitting your mid upper 30s you know you're playing a very difficult game that you shouldn't be getting exponentially better you know it's father time is undefeated now, it's not that you're unable to play, but you shouldn't be at the top of your game at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see that like your OBP or your average might be higher because you're smarter and you've played and you've seen everything, but your power numbers should not be higher at 35 than they were at 28. Yeah, being the crafty veteran, exactly, getting on base, doing the mm-hmm. little things. You know, Jombie, yeah, he got busted but you know when he cleaned up he was a pretty good pinch hitter at the end of his career so so yeah i mean i as a baseball fan i would i mean i guess it was fun to see all those home runs being hit but you know the game has definitely transitioned to be more of a defense pitching game and like we talked about the shift and it's requiring more well-rounded hitters and um, power is more of a premium, so you you definitely saw some guys that can hit the ball a long way. But I think it, it I think it's good for baseball. It's I still enjoy it, and it seems to be successful. And I think there's something to being able to root for people you know who have integrity. Indeed. All right, so we've got some follow up from uh, listener Dave, who also happens to be my co-host on It's a Trap and the Mendoza Line. And I love Dave. He's a wonderful, wonderful human being, and, and we're very good friends. But he has one character flaw. You know what that is, Nick? Yeah, he's a White Sox fan. Yeah, gross. Come on, Dave. Um, but despite his poorly chosen baseball allegiances, Dave did provide us with a few uh, interesting uh, discussion points for this week, so I am grateful to him for that. Uh, the first coming from last week, and we didn't record last week, so obviously we're, we're trying to catch up on two weeks of information here, but uh, Marlins player JT Realmuto hits a home run but get stuck with an RBI single because he ran past Marcelo Zuna, who was on first play on first base while he was batting. And Mm -hmm. so what happened was he hit the ball and Ozuna went back to first to tag up because he didn't think it was going to get out of the park, I guess, but it was deep enough that he thought he could make it to second. And apparently Real Muto wasn't really paying attention because he, he rounded first and passed his teammate, not by a whole lot, maybe by like two feet. Uh, 
And so he got an RBI single, but he didn't get to stay on first. So it's in the books as an RBI single, but really he just got to go back to the dugout. It was super weird. To be fair, I mean, he probably is like, I crushed that ball. I got a home run. <laughs> He's not even thinking yeah. about the What's fact that. What's this idiot doing sitting on first base? <laughs> you know, we, I just talked up about Osuna running into Giancarlo. Earlier, yeah, but 0 for 2, man. I saw that and it was it was weird. Like there was I don't know whose fault it was to be honest, but that's a bummer. <laughs> like I mean baseball is hard enough as it is. You get a homer <laughs> and you don't even get a home run. You get you get basically out. The, the s- weirdest RBI single I think yeah, possible. So Ozuna was able to score, but it this has gotta be one of those one of the most bizarre, like, baseball edge case rules. Yeah. Well, it doesn't happen very often. No, I've never, I've never heard of this before. Well, especially the home run thing, but batter runners passing. Yeah, I, I can't remember too many times of that happening, but that's like I haven't seen too many home run inside the park home runs in my life, and I saw it today. You just can't, can't predict baseball cam. That's the great thing about it. Something new happens every day. So, you know, now that I think about it, I don't know if I've ever seen someone lap a guy on a home run, just not paying attention. It almost happened to me in rec league softball. You hit the home run? <laughs> no, I've never hit a home run in my life. No, I was, uh, it was back six years ago this summer when I moved here to Kansas. I was playing softball in the rec league here uh, with the church team. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, a small man, you know, I'm, I'm six foot one and, uh, not skinny. Tons of fun. Yes. Six foot one and tons of fun. And, uh, they just assumed that I had power because of my stature, not, (laughs) not knowing that I only ever played a single season of little league baseball and never touched a bat until I played softball for, uh, intramural in college. Um, it's high level right there. Give yourself some credit. I struck out in co-ed's slow-pitch softball in college, Nick. <laughs> I, can't hit, I can't hit water if I fall out of a boat, and I spent most of my life in a boat. So, uh, anyways, I get on first. You know, I hit a real weak grounder past second baseman probably because that's where I always hit it. Um, you and, beat it out, hustled the first. Yeah, yeah, me and my 4-9-40. Whew. And uh, the guy behind me, who is now one of my really good friends here, Travis, uh, is a very, very good athlete, and he's very fast. He's probably five ten, a buck forty, so he's not big. He's very slight of build, but he is fast, like freaky fast. And so he ri- and he's left-handed, and so he rips his ball down the first baseline over my head into the you know lands fair, but rolls foul up against the fence. And so I'm running as fast as I can. By the time I get from first base to second base, he's right on my heels yelling, <laughs> run, run, what are you doing, run? <laughs> so he got to second from home plate in the same amount of time it took me to get from first to second. So mm. it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a feasible thing to happen, Nick. It's not that uncommon. <laughs> I'm sure it happens a lot of places. I, that brings up some good memories. I... I had a similar thing happen to me when I lived in DC, uh, playing softball. Our friend Eric Schinnebarger, you know. Oh yes. He hit behind me, 
and he's he's a pretty fast guy and he Well, but he's he hit, not he's I mean he's 6'2 or 6'3. He's he's a big guy. Yeah, he hit a couple triples that he almost caught me. I had to <laughs> really get it going, but um yeah. Yeah, just, no, I Travis was stuck at second. Like he just stopped. I got to third and he stopped at second. And he should have had a RBI triple, but I was You know, we we try. We're trying to run fast. We are. Yes. <laughs> All right, moving on from, you know, our glory days. Um, some Royals stuff, again from Dave here. Uh, well, Royals pitcher Chris Young, he got roughed up last week. Gave up five solo home runs in three innings. Which is something I feel like I could accomplish. So, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you, Chris. At least they're all solo. Yeah, but that makes your ERA for that game 15. So... <laughs> Yeah, the Royals are struggling a little bit this year, and I love it. I love hovering around five hundred. But to be fair, I mean, I would trade that for a World Series, just one World Series. I mean, they're set for life. They're fans. I feel like (laughs) you know they'll be. This is kind of like their honeymoon year. It's like whatever happens, they're they still have last year. But that was a pretty magical year last year. But yeah, they're. They, I mean, they have a very similar team, and they're struggling right now. So, but yeah, giving up five solo home runs in three innings, that's tough to do. I mean, let's put it this way. That's nine outs, right? Three innings is nine outs. Mm-hmm. Five is more than half of nine. So that's, I don't know how many batters he faced in those three innings, but at least yeah. a third of them got a home run off of him. Chris Young, he's he's a tall guy. He's like, isn't he like six ten? Yeah, and if it's not six ten, he's like six eight or six nine. Yeah, he's he's a tall, lanky dude. He's had a pretty successful career for when he's been healthy, but had a rough game last week. Yeah, and you know, I just can't help bringing it up when the Royals do bad. I'm just bitter. That's all. I'm just bitter. That's what it is. It's okay, Cam. Yeah, at least it wasn't. I don't know. I can understand being a Tigers fan in Royals territory and having the Tigers come up short those those years in the world that they were in the World Series. But don't want to talk about it, Nick. I want to talk about the next thing on our list. That's what I speaking, want to do. <laughs> speaking of highly fine tuned athletes. <laughs> Great segue. Oh, do you want me? Do you want me to say it? I thought I was going to let you run with it. I don't want to steal your thunder. Go for it. Bartolo Colon, the finest, most fit, svelte athlete, and also one of, one of the youngest as well. Whose whose nickname is Big Sexy? Seriously, absolutely, uh, dead serious. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Bartolo Colon, he's what forty one or forty two now? Oh, he's he's. I think he's older than that. He's forty three or forty four. Mm. Anyways, uh, he was pitching. When I was in middle school, at a really high level, I remember it. I distinctly remember this. For the Indians, so, right? Yeah, for the Indians. Yeah. Well, he is now on the Mets, and he did something of, uh, well, he hit his first career home run, which the, is impressive. The oldest player to ever hit his first home run, ever. 
pretty amazing. Yeah, it was uh, such a feat that um, Tops has what they call Tops Now cards, and they they make them um, just limited runs for you know uh, special things. Uh, they usually sell a few hundred per card. They at at uh, the time that Dave sent me this, which was uh, earlier this week, they had sold 8,800 Bartolo Colon home run cards, which is which is like almost 10 times, if not more, what they sell of a usual Topps Now card. And Dave did buy one because it's that ridiculous that Bartolo Colon hit a home run. That is fantastic. They timed him uh, <laughs> his... trotting around the bases. <laughs> it's like a minute and a half, wasn't it? Because they they did this on the Res broadcast because they juxtaposed that with Billy Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Scored he scored from first base on a single to left field, and he what? got from first to home and like I, I I can't remember off the top of my head. He he was running on the pitch, which is why why it happened. But yeah, a single to left field Still, and he scored. Left, that's impressive. It was incredible, but. So he, I think they timed it out. He would have, he would have lapped him like three times in this, the time that he <laughs> got around on his home run. Cause Billy, when he, he had a home run earlier this year, and I think he had the fastest recorded home run trot, um, the best stat cast had ever recorded. So that was interesting, but yeah, I, I have yet to see the actual, like, I've just seen him trot around the bases, but I just cannot wrap my mind around how that happened. Or, you know, whatever pitcher gave that up, it's just, it's time to quit. Like, <laughs> you allowed Bartolo Colon to hit a home run off of you. you did, that should never, ever happen. Well, I mean, he's got some girth, so you just gotta, you know, just gotta connect. <laughs> I guess, but I just don't know how that's possible. Yeah. Well, thanks to Dave for uh, writing in and sharing those three lovely bits of baseball with us. Uh, Nick, I would love it if you would tell us why the Red Sox offense is kind of going insane right now. Well, I'm assuming that you want to talk about this because they're doing so well, correct? Oh, yes. Because, yeah, we wouldn't want to talk about an offense that is terrible. Cough, Detroit. Like, cough, cough, Detroit. Or the Reds. Cough, cough. <laughs> Detroit, um, Detroit lost to Houston one to nothing the other day. Just hey, pathetic. The Tigers have scored three more runs this year than the Reds, so. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you know, but we're not the Braves. They, so the Reds have scored 153 runs this year. Um, which is like, it's it's bottom third. There's a lot of, you know, there's a few other teams with 20s. The Braves are in dead last with 109. And I read some other, or some other place that they're on pace to hit like 46 home runs this year, which uh, a few teams have already passed this year, including well, the Red Sox. I was going to say, there might be a player or two that passes that by themselves. Yeah. So yeah, the Red Sox put up a lot of runs this weekend against the Astros. Uh, they did, they've got an interesting lineup. I mean, they've got some ragtag guys, some old guys, some young guys that are really athletic, but you wouldn't 
peg them as big power hitters, but a few of the reasons, you know, why they're they've been so good. Jackie Bradley Jr. is right at the top of the list as far as he's he's kind of been known as a defensive first center fielder. He's been up and down the past few years. But he is just off to a tear so far. He's hitting over 330, six home runs, 30 RBIs. That's pretty incredible. 374 OBP. Um, his career averages, he's, his career, um, can't tell if this is including this year or not, but I'm just, let's just assume it's not, but his career average is 232. Um, he has a career 20 home runs, you know, he's been in the league for four years already. So he's, he's off to a really good start. Mookie Betts, um, really good young, young up and come coming player. He's off to a great start. He, uh, he's got almost 30 RBIs as well. Um, he's only 23, too. He's going he's gonna to be a good young player. And he's on my fantasy team. Yeah. And Bogarts, he's also... They've just got a, they got a lot of guys that, you know, they were highly regarded prospects, kind of had a rough couple of years. You know, Bogarts had a really high average, high average last year. But this year he's, you know, starting to put together in the power stats as well. So he's getting on base at a almost 400 clip. And then the ageless one, Ortiz, David Ortiz, hit a game-tying home run in the ninth last night. Still getting it done. Hanley, Ramirez, they finally stuck him at first because he was so terrible at every other defensive position. <laughs> He's one of those guys that he'll have an amazing year like every like three years and then he'll be hurt or just terrible the two years in between. But he's uh he's hitting over three hundred. Got a you know, there's just several as I look down this lineup, you know, a lot of high two hundred, low three hundreds, um, a lot of high RBI totals, a lot of good on base percentage totals. And that's a team that's always been on the forefront of analytics and uh, valuing guys that get on base and you know I don't scoring runs wasn't really their problem last year either when they were bad it was pitching so their pitching has been a lot better this year although Price has struggled he hasn't he hasn't done as well but Porcello has been awesome actually just picked him up in um by their fantasy league I, I just haven't really trusted him his whole career but He's actually striking out about a batter an inning now. Got a really low whip rate, but I watched a game, his game uh, this week. He has got some filthy stuff. Yeah, that's a guy. I think that the Tigers just rushed him a little bit. You know, he's still only twenty seven. Yeah, that's that's the frustrating part. Is he's still not old. And he came up at twenty, right? It was like twenty or twenty one. Yeah, yeah, he was young. They rushed him because I feel like he's. So he was pretty highly regarded. Um, yeah, and he, he just he struggled. Had, he had a really good year, um, one year with the Tigers, and they mm-hmm. moved him up to like third in the. I think it was Verlander, Scherzer, and him were the top three, and he just wasn't ready for that sort of pressure and that many innings. And and you can see how, you know, getting your brains beat in like that can really hurt your confidence and. I mean, it even happened last last year. He had a terrible year. 
got paid a ton of money. I remember seeing that. I'm like, why do they give him that much money? But after seeing his stuff last night and, um, you know, his he's got, you know, some good stuff. He's throwing strikes now. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see if that keeps up. But, you know, him with Price, Buckholz is still terrible. But um, this uh, Stephen Wright guy they have, I really don't know anything about him, but he's um, he's doing well, low, mid-3s ERA. And, I mean, that's a team with – they've got such a good farm system. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a big blockbuster trade um soon or you know they don't have the biggest pitching prospects but so yeah they're they're having a lot of success this year because i mean that offense is really leading the way again and then you got pedroia it's another guy that gets on base so that's uh going back to that joey Votto conversation the whole goal of baseball is to not make outs and the red sox have a lot of guys that get on base they don't make outs and when you do get hits, they count for more because you have people on base. It just makes a lot of sense. Indeed, Red Sox. And uh, <clears throat> I just want to say I picked them to win the division in our uh, our uh, you know prediction show. So I'm pretty happy about that choice right now. I did as well, didn't I? I don't know. I'm gonna just pretend you didn't that I did, so I can you know just gloat for a second. <laughs> uh, all right, so. Thank you for uh for explaining that so well, Nicholas. You are you are wise and intelligent, sir. Uh from uh we've got two things from uh friend of the show, Justin. Uh the first is uh he said he sent this in. The St. Louis Cardinals are in Anaheim uh playing the Angels and <laughs> there's a picture of the Cardinals pitcher on the mound about getting ready to pitch to the Angels player and the ads behind home plate are for the LA Rams. <laughs> Which too soon? Uh, so good because just recently the Rams moved from St. Louis to LA. In fact, their first season in LA will begin this fall. And so it seems like a very not subtle way for LA to troll St. Louis. And I love it because I hate the Cardinals and this just makes me feel really good on the inside. We just hate the, the city of St. Louis, I guess we laugh at their pain. Ah, that, I don't laugh at their pain in life, just in sports. Because there's, there's some, sports, yeah. there's some seriously, like that whole Ferguson thing. No, we, that's that's bad all around. That's bad yeah. all around. But as far as the Cardinals are concerned, yeah, we hate them, hate them, hate them, hate them. Well, I mean, Cardinals fans specifically, and then not all of them are from St. Louis, but they've had a pretty gifted life the last fifteen so years. So. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know the crossover and Cardinals and Rams fans, but whoever whoever intentionally did that, pretty yeah, pretty witty slash kind of mean. Definitely, they get they get a air five for sure. Well, I think the the Cardinals swept the, the Angels anyways. The Angels are awful. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's L.A. They they don't care. They've got the beach, Hollywood. I'm sure they'll be fine. 
All right, so before we get to our main topic, uh, we need to talk about something that just happened a few hours before we recorded. Um, yeah, big, big day today. So, <laughs> Blue Jays and the Rangers are playing today, and well, Jose Bautista got straight up clocked in the face one of, by Adore. Best punches, like that I've ever probably seen in a sports fight. Yeah, like most of the time they're just like throwing. No, usually they're just trying to slap each other. Even in hockey, like you're getting you're getting a few glancing things in there, but before you know it, you're dragging them to the ground. This was a full like cold clock with the fist in the jaw. Yeah, I'm I'm not suggesting that you strike another human being in the face, but if you were to do so, this is how you would do it. He hit him so hard and so flush on the jaw, he knocked not only his helmet off, but his also body. his sunglasses. And they didn't just like like get bent and fall off. They flew off of his skull. I mean, yeah. it was a fully extended, like almost like he's a trained boxer type, just perfectly landed the punch. It was awesome. To to Bautista's credit, like he took it like a champ. Like he didn't even go down. Well, there was uh uh they interviewed him after the game because I mean the bench is cleared and it I mean it was it was testy there for a while. Um but they interviewed Bautista afterwards and he said, He got me pretty good, so I've gotta give him that. But it takes a little bit of a bigger man to knock me down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is not super big which is hysterical that he just got cold co- cocked by the sky and then he's got the you know the chutzpah to be like ah eh, yeah. he's still little <laughs> well the context behind this was this all goes back to Bautista's bat flip against the rangers in the playoffs um you know a lot of guys took exception to that and then today today was the last time that they i guess they're gonna play this year because they've already played each other uh six or seven times so Bautista, I think I hit with the pitch, and there was a grounder at the next batter, and he went really hard in the second, like st- started sliding at the bag, like could have hurt Odor pretty badly. Mm-hmm. And with the new rule, they actually called it a double play. But right after that was when, yeah, he got. Yeah, he came in full of intent, and he delivered quite impressive. Mm-hmm. So I think this this falls under the category of Bryce Harper's make baseball fun again because I want more of that. <laughs> but I'm also a hockey fan. So what was also really funny is they uh, they inter- they uh, had Barry Melrose on Sports Center and they actually had him talk about it because he's a Toronto guy. And so he you know he goes, if you're gonna get in a fight, fight. If you're gonna hug the guy, hug the guy. Don't don't come in there. You know, not sure what you're gonna do. <laughs> if you're gonna get in a fight, be the one that throws the first punch. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, it, it was it was a good fight. You know, I for one, I'm I kind of hope they meet each other again in the playoffs. That would be oh. interesting. Yeah, it would certainly make for uh, must see TV for sure. Indeed. <sighs> all right, I think we've caught up on all of the the big stuff. Let's get into our main topic, which was suggested to us by uh, Justin. So shout out to uh, to Justin, Dave, and to Gary for the follow up. It's made for. Uh, quite a fun show so far i think so thanks guys we really appreciate it um yeah we do thanks guys if uh if anyone else um wants to uh you know write in share their thoughts suggest topics we'd we'd love it um you can do so on twitter 
I'm at Cam Brennan. Nick is at Coatsy, C-O-A-T-S-I-E-E. Or you can email us, hello at supermegacorp.net. Just put Mendoza line in the subject, and uh, we'll get it to where it needs to go. So, Nick, what's our main topic, sir? Yeah, we've we've touched on this a little bit. Just uh, this, this whole idea of baseball being a very difficult uh, sport. And, you know, whenever we talk about professional sports i mean we're we're talking about high level very few people on this planet can do but baseball is an interesting um sport in the fact that you know you are dealing with uh, such small objects uh, round objects moving at such high velocities like the untrained eye has a very like difficult time tracking a a fastball you know we can especially from a distance, it can look one way as opposed to being in the actual batter's box, meaning how difficult it is to be able to react to that. So um, there's a a business insider, you know, has this short like three-minute video with more of the science behind, you know, how difficult it is to hit a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, you know, which is some of the the top fastballs. That's what you're going to see, you know. There's only a few. Earl's Chapman throws 103, which... I have no idea how people hit that, which will be in the show notes. But, you know, I'm not smart enough to know all that, um, you know, the science that goes behind it. But basically, like, there's a very, very, very small uh, window for the batter, you know, in the batter's box to make the decision on whether they're going to swing or not. Um, So it's just really interesting to, you know, to watch that and to really think about you know, I'm victim of this, you know, you're watching it on TV, it looks a little bit probably less difficult than obviously than it is, just because, you know, TV doesn't do justice to, you know, the rate of speed that the ball's going, the small distances, etc. We can see it from a distance. But when you're sitting in the the batter's box, and you have to make a decision on a pitch, you know, you don't know whether it's going to be a fastball or a breaking ball, where it's going to be, you know, this whole, it goes into, you kind of have to make a decision or you have to start your swing before the pitch is even released, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, it's just an extremely difficult sport uh, to do. So you, you think about that, every pitch, making those decisions, and then you do that every day for six months. So, I mean, the, the mental grind, I think that's the most difficult thing about baseball is it's so mentally taxing. Just day in and day out, you get in a slump. You know, Joey Votto is one of the best hitters in the, the world right now, and he's in a slump. And he, it just, like, you wonder if he's ever going to be able to hit the baseball again. He struck out today, and he missed the ball by a solid six inches to a foot of just, like, not. he's just not seeing the ball really well. And you're talking about some of the best hitters in all of baseball who who go through these struggles because it's a long season you go through slumps you just have to learn how to to move on and um not become a, a head case which you know you can see it happens to certain players so i think just reinforcing the fact that it's easy to criticize players sometimes or to to boo a guy who's struggling but baseball is very difficult and only very few people on this planet can do it at the the high level that a lot of these guys are. So I think it, it goes to celebrating the people 
who are, you know, not cheating with PEDs, but playing baseball at a high level, your your Mike Trouts, your Bryce Harpers, um, the pitchers like Noah Syndergaard, uh, Max Scherzer, who struck out 20 guys, yeah. didn't walk one against, the other day. Against the Tigers. Against the Tigers, yeah. So these guys that um, are playing at such a high level right now, and, you know, some of these guys have been doing it for so many years. You know, we just have to remind ourselves. And I think that that video does a really good job of, um, in some more layman's terms, explaining uh, that's really difficult. And those people that, you know, call baseball players bums or just are so negative all the time, I would like to see them try to do it and see um, how they would do. Yeah. So some of those. Um stats that the video throws out just so listeners can can catch uh what we're saying here uh from pitcher to catcher is 60 foot six inches which if you think about it, it's kind of a far way to throw a ball that accurately at that speed so if we can step away from the hitting for a second just the fact that pitchers can from that distance more often than not pinpoint a location within a few inches at high speeds or at high movement mm-hmm. is crazy. Like I, I can play catch at 60 feet, six inches from the person. And if I get it within their ability to reach for it, I call that a success. And that's, and that's maybe at 30 or 40 miles an hour. And how does their arm not explode? Throwing? Well, sometimes our, it does explode and that's what we call Tommy John surgery. But <laughs> Our bodies were not made to, yeah. to throw something that fast. Yeah, and to put like the you know on a curveball or a slider or anything like that. It's I mean what they can make the ball do is is insane. Um, so okay, so there's the distance, and you think all right, sixty feet six inches. That's that's not necessarily close, right? I've got plenty of time to hit this thing. Well, when you consider the fact that the pitcher probably has a five or six foot stride, you're down about fifty five feet, and they're throwing it upper you know mid to upper nineties and the ball's tiny, you've got about 400 milliseconds from when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand to it hits either your bat or the catcher's mid. Uh, And you're not even going to see the ball until it's a quarter of the way to you just because it takes you that long to recognize what's happening. Like for your eyes to see it and your brain to communicate to you, oh, yeah, there's a baseball coming. Uh, and that takes about 80 to 100 milliseconds for you just to process where the ball is and to uh, anticipate the trajectory of the ball. Then it takes you about 150 milliseconds to swing and about 25 milliseconds for your brain to tell your body to swing, leaving you roughly 125 milliseconds to gauge the pitch. Is it inside? Is it outside? Is it up? Is it down? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it straight? Is it breaking? All of those things have to happen in 125 sec- 125 milliseconds, and you have to decide, am I going to swing or am I not going to swing? Am I going to try and foul it off? Am I going to swing for the fences? Am I just going to throw my bat? All of that stuff has to happen in 125 milliseconds. And for reference, it takes about 300 to 400 milliseconds just to blink your eyes. So if you're thinking that 125 milliseconds is not a short amount of time, go ahead and blink your eyes and then divide that by three or four. That's how much time you have to decide if you're going to swing at a ball. Yeah, I, I can't even quantify that. And to make it even more fun, 
you've got about a seven millisecond window to make contact with the ball to put it in play. That doesn't mean that it's a good hit. It just means that it's going to wind up within the 90 degrees of the playing field. Right. That's what, didn't Yogi Berra say that you, you just can't even think? You can't think and hit at the you same just, time. You don't have enough time to think. You just have to swing. <laughs> right, which, and you know, a lot of people, like, hitters just guess sometimes. That's why they look so foolish. Mm-hmm. When the ball goes in the dirt, you're like, why did you swing at that? Like, that's not even close. Well, but And especially considering now how many starting pitchers have three or four good pitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watching that, I was like, how – how is anyone any good? Like, how are, how is anyone doing? How is anyone getting on base like thirty percent of the time nowadays? It's kind of incredible. Well, yeah, when you put it in the the, the, the reference of okay, three three hundred to four hundred milliseconds to blink. What other bodily? What other voluntary bodily functions can I do faster than that? Mm-hmm. And I stress voluntary because I'm sure my heart can be, beat faster than that if I'm working out. Um. But of voluntary bodily actions, what can I do faster than blinking? And apparently professionals can swing a baseball bat faster than that. I know I sure can't. Mm-hmm. I struggle with the, the fast pitch batting cages, which come in at like 60 to 70 miles an hour. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting, too, the vision stuff. They're talking about how a lot of major leaguers have better than twenty twenty vision. I think that would be pretty important. Yeah, because I was watching another video with Steve Finley in it, and he was saying that he's reading the spin of the ball off the pitcher's hand. Right, and that's how that's how they know. Like that's how they're able to diagnose the pitch, which it's, is insane to me. Yeah, if it's a if it's a breaking ball, or I think a slider, it's gonna the spin is almost gonna have a little dot in the middle, um, because if it, if they throw the slider so hard, it looks like a fastball. And the only way that you can tell that it's a slider is by that dot or the spin because the fastball is, the fastball is going to look different. So I think that's how hitters do have the success that they have is by that vision of being able to see the spin of the ball. Because other than that, then, yeah, you have no chance. Well, but okay, so you add that into the time they have to gauge a pitch, right? So not only are they determining if it's up or down, in or out, fast or slow, but they also then have to – Look at a ball coming from 55 feet away that's smaller than a, than a human palm and be able to read the spin of the laces on a ball that's traveling, you know, 95 miles an hour. That's, it's ridiculous. And, that, and that's just putting the ball in play. Exactly. So then yeah. you've got, you've got uh, eight guys who you're trying to put the ball in between who are most, most likely – you know, some of the best defenders in the league. And you got to run like 90 feet's a long way. <laughs> and you got to beat the ball to the bag. 90 feet's to... a long way. Spoken like a baseball player, Nick. Come on. <laughs> well, when you, it's, when you're trying to get there safely, when, you've got, when you're trying to hit it in between eight guys. Well, like... if you're trying to beat the ball, yes, it's a long way. But no, so. and it just, you you add to that too. Am I hitting for power? Am I hitting for contact? Am I pushing it? Am I pulling it? Am I just gonna take what the pitcher gives me? Just all of that stuff. There's so many calculations that are happening in such a short amount of time that I'm I'm all honestly, I think the most impressed when a batter is consistently fouling balls off of a pitcher, mm-hmm. because you can tell that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to make 
enough contact to hit it foul, but to wait till they get a pitch. Like that's crazy when you see a guy foul off like you know five or six pitches in an at bat. That's crazy impressive because you know he's doing it on purpose. Well, and two, like yeah, just being able to foul it off and then being able to square it up—it's amazing. So on the other side, uh, fielding is—I mean, it's difficult too. Now we know through different things like Statcast, like what the exit velocities are of certain um, certain hitters. So you got you got some hitters that you can hit the ball really hard, like Giancarlo Stanton, and then some of the better hitters, you know, they're hitting the ball over 100 miles an hour coming off the bat. So I'm thinking about third baseman, you know, a hot shot to third. You know, the reaction time for that has got to be pretty minimal as well. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> to be able to get the to pick it at that i mean that just has got to be mostly reaction well, and especially like if it short hops there like it you know or uh you know a center fielder who if they wait you know half a half a second to break on the ball that's the difference between a sliding catch or you know having to take it off of a bounce or it's yeah and i remember especially like in high school and college watching curtis granderson for the tigers who was an exceptionally good defensive center fielder and made a lot of, you know, spectacular catches. And I remember they interviewed him about, you know, how he does it. And he's just, he reads the ball incredibly well off the bat. He knows, you know, uh, you know, obviously who's batting, what their tendencies are, but they all, he, they also all know how they're going to pitch these guys. Like that's, that's knowledge that they have. Like, okay, if Jose Bautista comes up, this is how we're pitching him because we're not going to let him go yard on us. Yeah, players have different weaknesses, and there's so many. There's like years of scattering reports now, and mm-hmm. so you add in all of that, plus just this innate natural ability to have a crazy fast first step in the right direction at the right speed. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's impressive. And and two like middle infielders, they know the pitches probably because if they're unless they're they're far wide they can see what pitches are being called so they can already anticipate okay this is a you know a slider going away on the outside chances of him pulling it are minimal right if he does it's going to be a pop-up exactly and so they can just much like the pitcher or sorry much like the batter can anticipate the swing and start it beforehand the players can start to anticipate that as well based on when the guy swings and that sort of stuff, they can tell. Oh, he's gonna pull it. He's gonna push right. it. That sort of. It's so the yeah the mental the anticipation and mm-hmm. the um, preparedness is uh, unlike other sports. Yeah, and now it's they have very technolo- unique to baseball. They have technology in stadiums now that can track, um, you know, routes to fly balls that fielders take, and so I mean everything is being access- assessed. Um, by that technology and um, just with you know the difficulty of, of hitting the ball I think we we began to see that with the analytics of you know starting to value players who could who had better plate discipline who could tell um, you know who could read the strike zone better because they're going to get on base more because it's just so hard when you're swinging the when you're swinging all the time you're going to strike out and you're not getting on base, et cetera. So it kind of, it's a domino effect. So you see those teams that really highly value that. Those are the guys that are getting on base. You're just playing the odds a little bit better. And that's, that's been a frustration for me and the Reds is we've had so many players who just swing. And then we got a few guys that don't, 
like Joey Votto, and they're the ones that are being vindicated. So, but it's interesting. I mean, this whole discussion has given me a, a definitely a renewed perspective on how difficult baseball is, and I think I'm gonna have a little bit more grace uh, the next time someone struggles uh, through a slump or um, through some fielding difficulties because it's extremely hard. Yeah, the amount of times people are like, oh, this guy sucks. I was like, he's a professional baseball player. He's better than you at every single facet of this game. Yeah, and so I realize it's all relative. Like, oh, uh, you know, a minor leaguer, you know, sucks in comparison to, uh, you know, Mike Trout. Okay. When you're comparing that, that's fine. But when you compare that minor leaguer to you, and he looks like Mike Trout. So, yeah, it's all, it's all relative, and I think... To, to echo your point, have a little class and a little grace when it comes to picking on people who are the best in the world at what they do. It's incredibly difficult, and they're all very good at it. There's just... And, and honestly, like the, the difference between someone who hits 300 and someone who hits 250, in the grand scheme of things, is not a large difference, but... 300 is all-star and 250 is get off my team, dude. And that, there's not a large gap between those two numbers. It's just the magical 300 number, you know? Because he's still, he's still missing 70% of the time. It's not like he's untouchable. Yep. A lot of luck involved and there's oh, yeah. definitely I skill. Mean, definitely skill. Yeah. It's, it's just baseball is a unforgiving that's Sport. why that's why you gotta have fun, Cam. Make baseball fun again. Indeed. Gosh. It's too hard to not have fun. And there's too many games not to have fun. Could you imagine if you were a professional baseball player and didn't like baseball? <laughs> I gotta do this again. I did it the last four days. This sucks. <laughs> Welcome to the real yeah. world, my friends, where everyone does that. Just yeah. kidding. I love my job. I don't. I don't think you get to that point if you hate baseball. It's too hard. It's too hard to make it to the majors. And the minors, like you're traveling around on buses overnight. You're not getting paid anything. It's it's really good. It's like those hard, hard courses in college that weed out the the posers. The minors are that for sure. Because I mean, there's so many levels now. It takes three, four years for the good players to get to the majors. So. I love tracking that stuff, though. It's so much fun. Well, I will, I will let you do that, and then I will just let you inform me what you discover. Will do. Cool. Uh, any other things that you want to discuss before we uh, bid each other and our listeners adieu? One more thing I did want to note, because I think it's, it was a big thing that happened this last week, but Steven Strasburg signed an extension with the Nationals, so... What was interesting was he was a Scott Boris client, which those guys always make it to free agency and always sign for a ton of money. But, you know, Strasburg was a guy, there's a lot of controversy on how, how he was handled post-Tommy John. And the Nationals were really cautious with him. And one thing I found interesting about what uh, his agent said was because of that, that was a big reason why he like gave them the chance to resign them. So, so yeah, it's a big deal for the Nats to get him locked up and basically – there are no good free agent pitchers available this winter. Like the best pitcher is going to be Rich Hill. Who is I, I don't even know who that is. Exactly. So, so yeah, we could see some trades this uh, this summer because of that, because there's not going to be any pitching available. So 
for those two teams who need it and who don't have uh, anything in the minors coming up, I think you could see some moves for some guys like Sonny Gray or some of those other pitchers we begin to see on bad teams. So interesting development, I think, worth uh, worth noting real quick. But Cool. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Good feedback, a lot of good discussion. Yeah, thanks to everyone for sending in their feedback. That um that definitely made the show a lot more uh the prep for it a lot more fun because yeah. we got to we got to do stuff that, that listeners sent in. So super cool, love it. Keep and it coming. Indeed. We will be back next week with another it will be episode number ten. We're hitting double digits. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.